The thing about Thanksgiving and the holiday season is that we have so many different encounters with different folks. Uh, Many of you just got together with friends, family, relatives, maybe neighbors. Pretty soon there's going to be the Christmas parties coming up. Pretty soon there's going to be more Christmas gatherings and traveling. And I just would like to suggest to you that when we run into folks and have these encounters with people, this is a big part of God's design for your life. A big part of God's design for your life is how you interact with the other people that God puts on your path. Because on our journey in life, it's not about things, it's about people. It's about loving God and it's about loving others. Quite simply, the kingdom of God is about our interaction with our king and with others for the glory of God. And the people that God puts in your path are so important and so strategic. Today we're going to look at a snapshot. Uh, We're going through the book of Acts. We're in Acts 21 if you want to turn there. If you don't have this, this is in your bulletin. And we're going to see that Paul is finishing his third missionary journey. He's about to go back to Jerusalem. Now, when he gets there, he's going to be arrested for five years. Um, So he's wrapping things up and he's on his way, but he knows that on his way, there's some folks that he's got to stop and visit along the way. There are people on Paul's path. And we're going to look at this today from that perspective. The big picture view is quite simply that he finishes the third missionary journey. He goes to Jerusalem, gets arrested for five years. He's under Roman guard. He's released for a little while, and then later on he's martyred. That's the overall snapshot. But what I would like us to do today is for us to be Paul's traveling companions. Can we do that for a minute? We kind of get into that mindset that we are traveling with Paul and we're going to actually go along for the journey. We'll get into this way more. We'll understand it way more. And we'll understand the people that God put, puts in your path are so important. It's so strategic. It's not an accident. It's not happenstance. And the question I want to ask you this morning before we start is this. What happens when people have an encounter with you? What happens? When you have an encounter with folks... What happens? Does anything happen? When Jesus had encounters with folks, meetings, people he ran into along the path, things changed for the people that ran into Jesus. We look at Paul, people that ran into Paul, things changed. When you have an encounter, when people are in your path, when you love the Lord and God's using you to be salt and to be light and to live for his glory, usually things happen when there's an encounter. What happens when people have an encounter with you? What happens when you meet up with folks? What do they see when they see you? I ask myself this question. What comes out of that meeting? For example, after Thanksgiving, looking back, if you look at all the conversations you may have had, think of what came out of some of those. Some people were probably very uh, appreciative and thankful, and, and you love them, and you're like, wow, that is one gracious person. Maybe some other people complained all Thanksgiving. Maybe you had somebody complaining all Thanksgiving long. I don't know. But what came out of the encounter? The people along your path, what came out of it? What comes out of it when they have an encounter with you? Because today we're going to see Paul having these encounters with some folks along the path, people along the path, and we get get in on some cool, cool things. Let's look at this in sections if we could. Verse 7 is where we left off last time, talking about people in your path. If you're a note taker, there's a few key points uh, regarding this passage. And this is where it starts out. Again, Paul's finishing his journey, third missionary journey, on the way back to Jerusalem. And he's been warned before. God's been showing him, there's going to be trouble when you get back there, just so you know. 
Paul's on a hurry to make it back there. He's on his way. He's almost there. And this is where the passage picks up. Acts 21, verse 7. We continued our voyage from Tyre to the land of Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So let's look at this. On his way back, he's having these encounters. He says he stays one day with the believers in Ptolemaeus, and then the next thing after that, he stops in Caesarea. But he stops to spend some time with Philip and his four daughters. Now, deep history with Philip. Philip is an amazing individual. He comes up a few times. In fact, in the book of Acts, he's the only person who's called an evangelist in the book of Acts. And he didn't start out as an evangelist. We know he became an evangelist. He reached out to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, if you remember the story, the guy in the chariot leaving Jerusalem to go back to Ethiopia, and he's uh, in the government for the queen of Ethiopia, and he comes back, and God is using Philip, and Philip runs into him and says, sir, do you understand what you're reading up there? And the guy says, I have no clue. He's like, can I join you? And Philip, the evangelist, shares the gospel. The guy becomes a believer. They pull over the chariot and baptize the guy in the first lake that they find. Cool story. By now, half of Ethiopia is probably believers because of this encounter, the people on the path along the way. Um, He's always looking for an opportunity to share his faith. And I would say when you think of people along the path, maybe you have some friends too that are always looking for an opportunity to share their faith. Everyone's a little different in this area. The pendulum swings a little bit. Some are always looking for an opportunity to share their faith. Others don't want to share their faith. They're a little afraid to share their faith unless it's really clearly an open door. Uh, Let me just tell you about people along the path. If you have friends or maybe you're one of them and you really love to share your faith and you're always looking for an opportunity to share your faith, make no apology for that. That doesn't need an apology. If you love to share your faith, um, that is pleasing to the Lord. That is what you're designed to do. If you're somebody else on the other side of that pendulum and you're a little upset when people are always sharing their faith, I would suggest you got to check yourself because the Holy Spirit is not saying, don't share your faith right now. Don't tell those people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's never saying that. The Holy Spirit's always saying, bravo, I am for you, not against you. The, the, the role of the Holy Spirit is to, sh- to see Jesus shared with everyone. So Philip the evangelist, that's the way this guy is wired. He is always looking to share his faith. He lives for that purpose. And this is where he's at. Uh, Paul stopping at his house. I love the title of Philip the evangelist. He's called one of the seven. Interesting term, one of the seven. What does that mean? Well, some 25 years earlier the apostles needed to raise up some leaders in the church. They needed more leaders. And the apostles said, we got to find some people who are sold out for God, who are servants, who are filled with the Spirit, and are consistent. And by the way, if you want to know what it takes to get raised up in the kingdom of God, we can look back to how these seven were chosen. Filled with the Spirit, servants, and consistent. These were the three ingredients for God to raise people up in the kingdom of God. I believe they still are today. He was one of the seven. The apostles were getting busier with things and says, we need to raise up some guys and gals that love the Lord, that are filled with the Spirit, and are consistent in their service. And he was picked as one of the seven. And 
some 25 years later, they're still using the term, hey, see this guy Philip over here? This dude is one of the seven. And everyone's like, really? Like way back then, he was one of the seven? And this became a term 25 years later, or even after that, when Acts is written, they're still saying, hey, psst, this guy's one of the seven. Now think of how cool that would be if you were one of the seven, and they're talking 30 years later about you as one of the seven. Whoa, one of the seven. Can I talk to him? I'd love to find out what that was like. Or maybe what if you were one of the 12, the 12 apostles? How cool would that be? Uh, you, you know, you run into someone and they go, Psst, see that guy over there? He's one of the 12. You're like, really, one of the 12? Seriously? And, and you just want to talk to him and say, well, what was it like? I mean, well, tell me what you saw if you're one of the 12. Or maybe if you were one of the 70, Jesus sent out 70 of the early believers to go and say, do everything I've shown you. And they're going to, they're not the 12 apostles. They're not the seven. They were the 70. And they were sent all to the surrounding cities and communities. And they came back and like, Lord, you're not going to believe what happened. We cast out demons in your name and the sick were healed. It was amazing. And Jesus says, thank you, Father, for revealing this to them and hiding this kind of insight from the so-called wisdom of the world. You revealed it to your people who love you in faith. And these 70 went around and got in on explosive things in the miraculous. What about that if you ran into somebody that was one of the 70? I would love to go, really? You were one of the 70? <laughs> what was it like? I mean, you went town to town not knowing where you were going and, and people were getting healed and people were getting delivered everywhere you went. Yeah, it was amazing. What if you were one of the 5,000? Now, I can relate to that one better. Remember the 5,000 up on the hill, fishes and loaves? And everyone's just eating, like Thanksgiving, just eating and eating, listening to the sermon, going, this is great. You know? I can relate to that. Five, yeah, I was one of the 5,000. You know? It'd be very cool. Well, here's the deal. Philip is one of the seven. And I believe in the heart of God, you are one of the called out ones too. I don't know what number we are. It's not about the number, but you two have a specific calling like they did and like Philip did. And here's the deal. 20 years earlier, uh, he was raised up. And here's an interesting thing about this story. Philip, when he was raised up, he was one of the seven. There were six others that were raised up with Philip. One of them was a man by the name of Stephen, who is no longer with them. In fact, Stephen was martyred for his faith. Stephen was a good friend of Philip. Philip, in the story here, is hosting Paul to come into his house with his daughters. But Philip's old friend, close friend, Stephen, is no longer alive. Stephen was martyred at the hands of Paul, the guy coming to visit. How does that confuse the story, complicate things a little bit? Now, um, Years earlier, Stephen, Philip's friend, was on fire for God. He was one of the seven, too. He's out there on fire sharing the gospel. They drag him out. They don't want to hear this guy, and they stone him to death. And the story says in the book of Acts that there was a young, zealous man named Saul who was standing there giving approval, saying, I'm sent by the Pharisees. Yes, drag him out. I'll hold the coats. I'll be the coat check. And you guys stone him to death. This is what Saul did. Saul. But the good news is Saul didn't remain Saul. He started out as Saul, but God transformed him, and Saul became Paul. And I think if we were honest, we too have a story like that, that we too were formerly known as, the term formerly known as, F-K-A. Are you familiar with the term? 
FKA, formerly known as. Peter was formerly known as Simon, the wavering one. And Jesus is like, well, that's who you were. That's not who you are anymore. Now you are a rock. You were a wavering one, but now you're a rock. And something that we ought to come to terms with too, your identity in Christ, we were something else, but we're not anymore. You have a new identity in Christ. And it's amazing. You and I were also formerly known as. You and I were all FKAs. All of us were FKA, formerly known as, every one of us. And this is the power of redemption, the power of transformation. And I got to tell you, I love redemption stories. I hope you do too. When God takes somebody and redeems them, when God gets a hold of someone and doesn't change their personality but completes it, when God takes them off of their own aimless track and puts them on a real track, that is beautiful. And the Bible is full of stories of people who were a bunch of FKAs, formerly known as, where God sticks them on a path and the rest is history. If we're honest, guys, we're all FKAs as well. And the first point this morning is exactly that. If you talk about people on your path, this is what I recommend. Paul did it. Enjoy fellowship with as many FKAs as possible. Enjoy fellowship. Part of the journey in your life is to enjoy fellowship with a bunch of these FKAs because there's something cool about FKAs. FKAs realize I wasn't born like this. I know who I was, but I know who I am now. There's something profound about someone who's an FKA. There's something profound about somebody who knows their old identity and understands their new identity. It's beautiful. It is powerful. It is encouraging. And when you hang around with people who are FKAs, we remember... Forget not the quarry from which you were dug and the rock from which you were hewn. Don't forget that we're all out of the bottom of a, a, a rock quarry. All of us. That's what the Bible says. But God is chiseling and tuning you up and shaping and molding you into, a, into an amazing uh, instrument of his praise. So we were all FKAs and enjoy fellowship along the way. Um, what happens in some churches or some movements historically in the Christian faith is people stop hanging out with FKAs. This is what happens. They start out well where they're reaching out to people and uh, people that don't know the Lord start to know the Lord. There's a really cool thing about ministry in a public place. But eventually what happens with some movements, they turn into monuments. And the way a movement turns into a monument is people stop hanging out with FKAs and they stop reaching people that would be FKAs and they start hanging out in their own like holy circles of just people who don't really have a story or a testimony and all of a sudden you forget the whole mission. FKAs is what it's all about. And, and you have people in your life that are Simons that God's calling to be Peters. You have people in your lives that were Sauls that God's calling to be Pauls as well. So formerly known as FKAs, enjoy the fellowship. Well, Philip here, he's got four daughters. It's quiet, huh? Now listen to this. <laughs> um, he's got a He's got four daughters. This is cool. And it says they all prophesied. And the way this sounds in the, in the ver- Greek uh, verb of the tense, all, they all prophesied. Uh, they're young daughters who consistently would pray up, hear from God, hear from the Holy Spirit, and not be afraid to speak it. This is really cool. Uh, prophecy in the Bible comes up, and we, we're going to talk a little bit about prophecy today. What prophecy means, it means to foretell or to foretell the heart of God in a given matter. It can be foretelling, which is futuristic, 
or it can be forthtelling. This is what the Spirit of God is saying right now to this situation or for this purpose. Either one of those two. And in fact, when we look at the Bible in the Old Testament, um, the, most of it was forthtelling the heart of God. This is what God is saying to Israel now. Not, most of it was not future-telling, but there was some future prophecy in the Old Testament, clearly. But that's not the majority of the Old Testament prophecy. Most of it was, this is what the Spirit of God is saying to His people here and now. Or the Lord told someone to prophesy to someone, and this is what God's saying to you right now. But some of it was futuristic, foretelling the future. So this is what prophecy is. This is what it consists of. It's speaking forth the heart of God regarding a situation. It's literally hearing from the Holy Spirit and having the faith to be able to speak it out. And um, today we think of prophecy as, cool, tell me something great. I want to know something great. You know, I want to hear a prophecy. Tell me something awesome. Well, Prophecy can be encouraging, and it may very well be awesome like that. But when we look at some of the Old Testament prophecy, uh, a lot of the prophecy in the Old Testament was actually a warning. It was like, hey, hold up. Make a U-turn. Turn this around. You need a direction change because God was telling them, hey, look, there's going to be a wake-up call coming, and I'm warning you in advance. The Bible says God doesn't do anything without first revealing it through the prophets, is what it says in the Old Testament, meaning God is saying some things and he wants to show his believers, I want to let you know ahead of time to beware or understand the times that we're living in. We have to understand the times and prophecy is a big part of understanding the times and the climate of what God wants to do. And prophets were not worried about being popular. In fact, Many of the prophets were stoned to death and they were disliked. So it wasn't a real popular gig <laughs> to be a prophet and they never made anything up. If they made something up, there was a big consequence. But prophecy is a big deal. It's a real deal. Uh, the Bible never said that prophecy would cease until we see Jesus face to face again. When we see Jesus face to face, prophecy will cease. But until then, the Bible lays forth that all gifts are still alive and well in his church. Well, Philip's got these daughters, and his daughters are hearing from the Holy Spirit. And his daughters, are, uh, they're just praying up and listening to God and sensing what the Spirit of God wants to say to people, and they're willing to share this in people's lives. That's an interesting place to be. It's a vulnerable place to be. It's a very careful, careful place to be because prophecy cannot be misappropriated. You can't just throw things out there like spaghetti and just try stuff. It's got to be like, Lord, what are you saying for this person or this group now? And if you're not saying anything, then I'm not saying anything because you can't make this kind of stuff up. But I will bet that Philip has got to be so proud of his daughters, just like you would if you had four daughters that were so close to the Lord, spending time listening to the Lord and speaking forth what the heart of God is in a certain matter. That would be so cool to say, man, I got to tell you about my kids. You know, some kids are throwing these 80-yard bombs, you know, and other kids might be these academic geniuses. But you know what? My kids, they're hearing from the Lord. I mean, they're really hearing from the Lord. And they are bold enough in their faith to share it in love. They're not afraid to say something or timid or go on. They're like, you know what? I really, I've been praying for you and I really believe the Lord wants you to know this. And it's from the Lord. And when it is from the Lord, the Holy Spirit inside you will bear witness with that. It won't be like, what are you talking? You, you'll sense the Spirit inside of you will say, Psst, yes. Do you hear that? Also, it'll always line up with Scripture because the author of Scripture is the same author of prophecy and it'll never be a contradiction. So you can test it, of course. But Philip's got to be real proud of his daughters right here. 
The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, he should do so speaking the very words of God, the very oracles of God. That means, ladies or gentlemen, if God has you in a place of ministry where you're ministering on his behalf, the Bible is saying, basically, you should prophesy. You should speak as one speaking the very oracles of God. Don't wing it. Don't make stuff up. Pray up. Listen to God and deliver whatever message in whatever place he has you in. And that's what really that's about. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, when God does speak through someone, something prophetic, it's not like, oh, whatever, I don't believe in any of that. It's like, don't treat it with contempt. Be open. Test the spirits. Pray. Lord, is that you? And if so, show me. So I just want to say that because prophecy comes up here and it's along the journey in his life and, in, and it should be in ours as well, but um, understand that that's what's going on here. So the next thing now, Paul leaves Philip and his four daughters who prophesy and now he moves along onto Jerusalem and the next passage begins in verse 10 and it says, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm not, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Okay, so here's a prophet again. Prophecy keeps coming up in this text right here. This is a prophet named Agabus. This is a guy, historically, hears from God and speaks forth what the heart of God is saying. Again, it will never contradict his word. We can test the spirits. But in Acts 11.28, he prayed. He spent some time with the Lord. The Lord showed him there was going to be a famine in the land. And guess what? A famine came. God prepared and warned his people for what was about to come. And it did actually come to pass. So this guy, he's the real deal. He hears from God. He's a true prophet. And there's one thing, guys, about along the path, the people along your path, it's important for you and I to have people in our lives that actually hear from God, hear from God. If you ask people the question, do you hear from God? Some people, first of all, would think you're crazy. What do you, like, God, like, speaks in, like, voices? And, you know, if you, if you were to ask this on a, on a Dr. Phil show or one of those shows, they might be like, what's wrong with you? You actually hear audible voices? We need to medicate you. Um, but, but if people, <laughs> we have something for that. Um, that's the way God designed you, to listen to the still, small voice. The Bible says there will be a voice behind you telling you which way you should go, to go this way and to that. The Spirit of God speaks in a still, small voice. The Spirit of God leads, guides, comforts, counsels, and this is God's design. Jesus said, when I leave, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Comforter, he's the paraclete is the term in Greek. He'll come alongside you. And he says, now he's among you, but then he will be in you. How cool is that? Never was the Holy Spirit in people, but among people. And Jesus is like, yeah, but when I go back to the Father, he's not going to be among you. He's going to be in you. And he's going to lead, and he's going to guide, and he's going to comfort, and he's going to counsel. And so this is important. But everyone has a different level of sensitivity to hearing from the Lord and how the Lord speaks. 
And some would say, no, I've never heard the Lord. Others would say, no, God's shown me things through circumstance. Other times people have said, well, when I was reading the word, God made something some, become so apparently clear to me, clearly it was the Lord speaking to me, and that would be making the scripture come alive to you in a clear, uh, definitive way. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. And others sometimes in prayer, God can give them a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, show them things and, or hear things. The Spirit of God speaks. This is, a, this is a reality of the kingdom of God. And it was back then and it should be today. And I would suggest that the second point today is exactly that, to enjoy fellowship with friends that hear from the Lord. When we talk about people along your path in life, enjoy fellowship with friends that hear from the Lord. And I say that because God still speaks. And this is not in a way of, of misappropriation. This isn't somebody telling you what to do, where to go. This, that's not it at all. You were wonderfully and fearfully made. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you too have the Holy Spirit in you. The Word of God will lead you as a roadmap. The Spirit of God will lead you as a compass. So you have everything you need for life and godliness. But along the way, wise is the counsel of many. And when you're in true fellowship, when, when you spend time with people along the path and they're people who actually care about you and love you and pray for you, and they also hear from God, it's amazing because there are times where you need encouragement and God's trying to tell you something, but you're not hearing it. Or God's trying to show you something, but you're not seeing it. God's trying to reveal something, but you're not feeling it. And when you have other people in your life who love you and pray for you and care about you, and they're willing to pray and hear from the Lord about something, and they're bold enough to say, you can test this, or I don't know what you think, but I've been praying for you, and I really think that the Lord has this for you. And not get worried about explaining the future and all the details, because a lot of times God doesn't tell the person that. I was praying for you, and the Lord said something about unforgiveness. I, I don't know. Maybe there's an area of unforgiveness in your life that's blocking what he has for you. I, I don't know the rest, but I, I sense the Lord say something about unforgiveness in your life that's stopping something. So, And the person can go home and pray about that, and that was speaking into someone's life, the very heart of God. Um, I had a friend of mine who, um, who got into some business affairs that started to make more and more profit and became a little more and more risky. And we're getting a little more and more off track. And I saw this, this road, this path that he started taking. I'm thinking, oh, man, this brother is drifting. And I care about him. But he was on this road to making a lot of money. And it was the legitimacy was at question. And I was praying for this guy. And I sensed the Lord tell me, and I don't hear this all the time. I read in the book of Jonah that the last thing that came out of Jonah's mouth before he was released from the whale. The last thing was those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In other words, there's profound things available, but if you're holding on to worthless idols, you're going to forfeit and miss out on all this stuff. And when I read that, I heard the voice of the Lord tell me, prophesy this to this person. And I'm thinking, they're probably going to think you're weird, or they're going to think, you know, what do you mean? God's saying... So I, I sat down with this friend of mine, had a plate of pasta, and said after the meal, hey, listen, I got to tell you something. I believe this is straight from God to you. And I don't go running around telling everybody this is from God this is to everybody unless the Lord's speaking something. But the Lord gave me this for you. You can do what you want with it. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. 
he looked back with this pale face and these big eyes going, wow. And he knew he had to act on this. But he didn't act on it. And about four weeks later, his whole world began to fall apart. God doesn't do things without first revealing them through the prophets. God shows. He will. If you have friends in your life who love you, if you're prayed up, if you're in the Word, God will reveal. He will show. He will lead. He will guide. He will put friends in your path who hear from the Lord that will help you with your steps along the way. Very, very important to do that. And I would suggest to you that it's important that you and I enjoy fellowship with friends that hear from the Lord. Maybe you're the friend hearing from the Lord. And you've got to share that with people as the Lord leads. Don't make stuff up. Never make stuff up. But as the Lord leads, you've got to share with some folks. You can't be afraid. If God does give you something, would you be like Philip's daughters? Would you be like Philip's daughters that are saying, we want to hear from God and we're not afraid to say something? We're not afraid to risk that? Um, Paul tells the Galatians, he says, am I now your enemy for telling you the truth? Like, I love you so much, I want to tell you the truth. This is from the Lord, I'm telling you, but you don't like me. You don't like me because I'm telling you the truth. None of the prophets were liked very much. None of them. Some of them were stoned and sawed in half, guys. Prophecy is not popular. At least not biblical prophecy is not always popular. But the fact is, if you hear from the Lord, are you willing to say it? Or are you going to go, well, that's none of my business? I've made that mistake. Don't make that mistake. If God gives you something, you share it. If somebody shares something, Don't treat it with contempt. Be open and pray about that. Prophecy comes up along the way as people along the path. Really, really important. So what happens here is Agabus, this prophet, says, Paul, this is what the Spirit of God is saying is going to happen to you. And Agabus is correct. That is what's going to happen to Paul. But Paul already knows that. Now, everyone else is saying, oh, no, Paul, you're going to get tied up. Don't go to Jerusalem. Please, please, we're begging you. And these believers along the journey are saying, no, Paul, trouble lies ahead. There's trouble for you. Please don't go. And if you look at the chapters we've seen along the way, the passages along the way, we've seen that families are even going down to the beach with Paul to say goodbye and pray for him. And they're crying, going, please, Pastor Paul, don't go. Don't go. There's trouble ahead. You're going to get tied up. And now Agabus says the same thing. Please, please don't go. And Paul says, look, no matter what happens, no matter what, I'm going. And here's here's the interesting thing about this, guys, is that most of us, by our nature, we want to avoid any storm possible. Amen? If there's conflict that you can avoid or a storm, why not? (laughs) That's why by our nature we save up to go on vacations. We enjoy comfort. By nature, we enjoy comfort. But the fact is, most of us do uh, avoid trials and storms at any cost. And everyone is seeing Paul's about to go into one. And they're like, no, Paul, please, don't go. There's trouble for you. There's a storm down there. It's a trial. It's trouble. Don't go. And it's been said, guys, a statement that if there are no giants in the land, you're probably in the wrong land. You remember the story of the conquest of Canaan and Joshua and Caleb and the spies went in and some came out and said, don't go in there. There's giants in there. They're way bigger than us. Don't go. And God's like, "Uh, this is the land I'm giving you. Go. And they're like, don't do it. There's giants. They did the same thing these people are doing. And the consequences were catastrophic. Joshua and Caleb were like, yeah, there's giants, but we serve a giant slaying God. We can take this land. And the rest are like, don't do it. There's trouble. 
There's, there's, and we do the same thing by our nature. I would suggest to you guys that if we're like Paul, if we see a trial or a trouble and we don't try to, try to dodge it or skip it or get out of it, I mean, we always want to miss this stuff. And as a result, I think we miss out on life. I think we miss out on purpose. I think we miss out on God's refining, God's definition, God's anointing, God's empowering, our faith growing. All this stuff is at stake because it only happens in the storm. It only happens through the storm. It only happens through the fire. It can't happen any other way. We wish it could, but it, but it can't. And so um, these people in verse 14, in fact, if you have it, you might want to underline it in your Bible. They said this, finally, after pleading with Paul about, please don't go into the storm. Please miss it. They finally said this. We gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. I would suggest to you that that is more powerful than you think right there. Because sometimes, guys, It takes giving up before the Lord's will can be done. It takes giving up. But every bone in our body will control it or steer it or direct it or or we're not going to go through that storm and we're not going to allow that and we don't want it for you and we don't want it for us and we'll do anything to avoid any of this stuff. But that's where the blessing is. That's where the victory is. It's going through that stuff. And if you look at people in your life that have endured something, they come out special on the other side. They come out more powerful, more anointed, more sensitive to the Spirit, greater love, more power in their life because they've been through the storm. You can't develop in your spiritual life that God's calling you to unless you go through some stuff. That's just a spiritual fact of life. And these guys are like, don't go, don't go, Paul. Sometimes it takes giving up before the Lord's will can be done. And there's a beautiful freedom on the other side for those who are resigned to God's will. Paul's like, look, God's will is God's will. Don't hold me back from this. Nothing's going to stop me. And it's, it's, it's something, maybe some of you have some things in your life right now that you're struggling with. Maybe there is a storm that you're doing everything tooth and nail. I'm not saying look for a storm and dive into the eye of it. Don't be like those guys on TV. You see those storm chasing guys? They're like looking for tornadoes. Hey, look, here's one. I'm looking. You know, it's like, no, don't do that. Don't, you know, don't go looking for storms. Don't go looking for hurricanes and tornadoes, um, you know, or tsunamis or anything like that. But the fact is, if you're in one or one is among you, don't try to duck and hide and run the other way. God in his sovereignty knows where you're at. God in his power will see you through. The calling of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot sustain you. God will bring you through. He will bring you through. And Paul knows that. In fact, Paul's about to get locked up. There is about to be trouble. But unless he did, the gospel would not go before kings, including Caesar. Do you realize that? It never would happen. Paul's like, I'm the guy. God's tra- I'm going to stand in front of Agrippa and Felix and Caesar himself and say, Caesar, let me tell I'm here in front of you because of the resurrection, Caesar. That's right, Caesar. There's one for you, too. You're going to rise to life or to death, sir, and I'm before you in your court today, Caesar, to tell you about the resurrected one, Jesus. That's why I'm here. Can you imagine that? Paul's going through the whole circuit before all these kings, all the way to Caesar, to present the gospel, and there's power in it. And he has time when he's in prison to write a third of the New Testament. We wouldn't have it if this didn't happen. But we don't understand that. We too are like, don't go, Paul. There's trouble. We don't want any trouble for you, Paul. Don't go. Sometimes it takes giving up before the Lord's will can be done. It moves on in verse 15. And it says, After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us, 
and brought us to the house of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. This is cool right here. This guy's name is Nason, and Philip was one of the seven, and this guy is called one of the early ones. He's like one of the early disciples. And this is cool because Jesus ascended and the early apostles and what we see at Pentecost, all that stuff happened some 25 years earlier. People didn't live that long back then. So 25, 30 years later, people 40, 50, 60 years old, people are starting to pass. They didn't live that long. And now they're saying, hey, this, this dude over here, he's like, he's one of the early ones. Remember we talked about being one of the seven, being one of the 12, being one of the 70. This dude, he's, he's one of the early ones. Really? Well, we got to talk to him. We got to spend some time with this guy because he's one of the early ones And as one of the early ones, he got in, he saw all kinds of cool stuff. He's one of the early ones. And so there's very few originals at this point in time. There's not that many that were around from the beginning at this point in history. And that's what's so cool about this. And Paul's like, we're staying at his house. So they spend some time with him. And this has got to be rich. By the way, Luke is with Paul. The tense that we're reading is we, 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 this. We went here, we went there, we went there. So Luke, who's writing... Not only the Gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts is with Paul in all of this stuff. We went to here. We went to Philip the Evangelist with his daughters. And then we went to see the prophet Agabus. And then after that, we came down to Caesarea. And we stayed with Nason here, who is one of the early ones. This guy is one of the veterans, the veteranos. This guy is the real deal. He was from back in the beginning. He was the original deal, one of these guys. And there's not many left. There's not many originals left. And there's something special about veterans. There's something special about people who have experienced the kingdom of God for a long time. There's something special about people who've had a journey that are further down the road than you and I and been in the faith longer. Do you realize that? There's something special about those folks. And Paul knows that. They're spending time. People like that that are are veterans in the faith. And there's something about their devotion, their commitment, their experience, their testimony. These veterans have something huge to impart. When we talk about people along the path, there's something powerful they can impart in your life. And if you're a veteran of the faith or becoming one, there's something powerful that you can impart as well. And a veteran in the faith is not exclusive to age, but it is experience and time with Jesus. When people have been walking with Jesus for a long time and they have this experience, there's stuff to share, there's a wealth of spiritual things that they can share. And it's really, really important. And I would suggest, that's the third point this morning, is to to spend time with some veterans in the faith. There are some veterans in the faith. Do you know anyone in your life around you, maybe parents or grandparents or people you know that actually have walked with Jesus a lot longer than you have, a lot longer than you have? There is some stuff to share. There is a wealth in that. There is life, there is There is blessing in that. And uh, I I would suggest this is a part that's missing from our current generation. There used to always be respect for those who are older. Profound respect in every culture. But today that's kind of going away in our culture, in our Western convenient culture. But there's something rich about this. Something so rich. It's a kingdom principle. Hanging out with people that are further down. There's a built-in discipleship to that. There's built-in mentorship to people that are veterans in the faith. And they tell you these stories because they're so much further down the road, so much more experience, and there's so much blessing in that. So guys, make a point of that. When you think of people along your path that God puts in your life, 
Make a concerted effort to spend time with some veterans in the faith. Verse 17 through 20. It says this, when we arrived at Jerusalem, finally, 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 Paul is there. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and the elders, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. And we're going to stop right there. He finally gets back to Jerusalem. James, the brother of Jesus... Some of you are saying, did he just say the brother of Jesus? James, the brother of Jesus. This is not heresy. This is history. Heresy, history, a few different things. James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, and Jude, another brother of Jesus, wrote the book of Jude. You can look this up. It's, it's the church, early church fathers all document this. Uh, he is the leader of the church of Jerusalem with the other elders, which are probably consistent of some of the apostles. Some of them went to other places, Africa, to spread the gospel, and, and east and other places that we don't have recording of, but they went to spread the gospel. And some are in Jerusalem, and James is in charge of the church. He's the leader of the church. And Paul reports, hey, guys, I know you're here in Jerusalem, and you guys are doing your own thing here in Jerusalem with all the Jewish believers, but let me tell you, I've been out there for years And I want to tell you about some radical stuff God is doing with the whole known Roman Empire. There are folks accepting Jesus all over the globe, and it is phenomenal. This is what God's doing. And these guys go, that is awesome. Now, we're not going to finish the next part, but they respond right after this and say, but, Paul, we do church differently here in Jerusalem. These believers here are all Jewish believers. And we're not doing it the way you're doing it out there. And we have some things to address with you, Paul. Paul is a Jewish Pharisee. He's a Pharisee among Pharisees. He knows the Jewish law better than anyone, but he also knows grace better than anyone. And God showed him some amazing things about grace. I don't think the church of Jerusalem understood grace, anything close to the level that Paul understood it. So next week, we're going to see the clash. We're going to see when these worlds collide of the law and grace. And it is a clash, and we're going to see that. So let's... uh, Let's close in prayer. Mighty God, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. It is rich. It is powerful. Um, It's amazing. And Lord, we just got to experience the people along the path in Paul's life. Amazing people, Lord. And Lord, some of them were those FKAs, those formerly known as people, Lord. And, And Lord, we're formerly known as something else too. And Lord, I just pray we would be reminded of your grace. We would be reminded of your calling, your hope and future for all people. We'd be reminded of these things and we would get passionate about it, God. So thank you for that, Lord God. I also just pray, Lord God, for the, the ones along the way, um, Lord, that you have people in our lives and we are these to other people, Lord, to, to just to hear from you. And that if we do pray for others and intercede for our friends and our family and really spend time with you in prayer, that if you say something or if you show us something or reveal something, that we wouldn't be afraid, that we would be able to take the first steps in faith to say, I've never delivered a message from the Lord, but I really believe this is from the Lord. And Lord, that you would, everyone in this room would have a new heightened sensitivity to hearing from the Holy Spirit and be willing to share in faith what you're saying. So, Lord, I pray you'd put friends in our life that hear from you and that we would be those friends to others, God. There would be a whole new level in our life of hearing from the throne of grace. 
And Lord God, I also just pray for the veterans, Lord God. We praise you for the veterans, the ones that have been down the road further, that have experienced more of the kingdom, who understand your love more than we do, understand your grace more than we do, understand your power more than we do, your provision more than we do. God, there's a wealth of spiritual life, Lord, in, in, the, in the lives of the veterans in the faith, Lord. And I pray that we would spend time, that we'd engage them, that we would ask them, that we would seek wisdom and counsel from those that are truly down the road further. And that, Lord, you would show us what life exists with the people along the path you put in our life, Lord. And let us be the ones along the path for others that give life. Let us be life-giving Christians, Lord. Let us be the ones to say, hey, can I pray for you? You know, I think the Lord wants you to be encouraged right now because God sees your situation. And Lord, let us be those life-giving believers, the people along the path. We love you, God. Make your word come alive. Lord, I pray you'd seal some things in our heart today. We thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.